It's February 10th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam, and it's my privilege to be reading the scriptures with you today as we make our way through the Bible this year, making daily stops in the Old and New Testaments, the book of Psalms, and Proverbs. We're in a section of the book of Exodus containing the laws given to Moses regarding the privileges of the people of Israel as those who have been redeemed at the Passover and brought out as a people belonging to God brought out with the purpose of worshiping the Lord, who would manifest His presence and His glory in the tabernacle in the wilderness. So we continue in chapter 30, starting with verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census, from twenty years old and upward, shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half the shekel, when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations." The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh five hundred shekels and of sweet-smelling cinnamon half as much, that is, two hundred and fifty, and two hundred and fifty of aromatic cane, and five hundred of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, 
take sweet spices, stacti and anicca and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be an equal part, and make incense, blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Chapter 31 Aholiab and Bezalel The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, or Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table, and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel, and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon our Redeemer. First we look at the ransom money for each man's soul in Exodus chapter 30 verses 11 to 16. The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, When you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, so that there will be no plague among them when you number them. 
When we read of the tabernacle tax or the ransom money in Exodus chapter 30, we must consider what is being discussed and how it fits into the context of the book. What is being discussed here? Why is it needed to avert a plague? Why is it the same amount for all those over the age of 20 and not proportionate to one's wealth? Concerning the redemption of our souls, notice the way the theme of redemption is introduced in the book of Exodus. First, the need for redemption is revealed in the people's bitter life of bondage to Pharaoh and the hard taskmasters of Egypt in Exodus chapters 1 through 5. Secondly, the holiness of the Redeemer is revealed in the plagues in Exodus chapters 6 through 11. Thirdly, the means of redemption is revealed in the required sacrifice of a perfect substitute, the application of the shed blood of the Lamb to the doorposts of each family in Exodus chapters 12 through 13. Fourthly, there is the duty of the redeemed, and that is to give God worship with thanksgiving and obedience in Exodus chapters 14 through 24. And then fifthly, the privileges of the redeemed, that is worshiping God in the beauty of his holiness in Exodus chapters 25 through 31 in the tabernacle. Matthew Henry writes, In other offerings, men were to give according to their worldly ability, but this, which was the ransom of the soul, must be alike for all. The souls of all are of equal value, equally in danger, and all equally need a ransom. The money raised was to be used in the service of the tabernacle. Those who have the benefit must not grudge the necessary charges of God's public worship. Money cannot make atonement for the soul, but it may be used for the honor of him who has made the atonement and for the maintenance of the gospel by which the atonement is applied. End quote. That's from the Matthew Henry Concise Commentary. It is in the context of the redeemed people of God entering into the privileges of worship that the half-shekel tax was introduced. God's ransomed people are given the privilege of participating in the worship of our Redeemer by contributing financially to the service of the tabernacle. They were already redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but their redemption was to be realized in the important privilege of worshiping the one true God in spirit and in truth as His redeemed people. If they neglected or abused this privilege, there would be a corresponding judgment in the form of a plague. This would actually happen later in their history when King David, with improper motive, took a census of his people, banking on the strength of his own numbers. The reason it is called ransom money is because it held off the plague. They all had an equal stake in the worship in the tabernacle. God's work must be supported by God's people. Their future depended upon it. The purpose of the census God commanded was not to assess one's own strength or resources, but to remind the people that the nation and every citizen in it belonged to the Lord. The census numbered the adult males that belonged to the Lord. The shepherd numbers his own sheep, not those who belong to another. In this case, the good shepherd has the right to command his mediator, Moses, to number those who belong to him. Each one's redemption was equally costly. Their preservation as a people 
depends ultimately upon the redeeming work of the Lord and not their military strength, wealth, or poverty. In Exodus 30, verse 13, this is what everyone who is numbered shall give, a half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras, half a shekel as a contribution to the Lord. We've already learned that our salvation is purchased by the shed blood of the Lamb of God and cannot be bought with silver or gold. The true atonement price, the offering of the perfect substitute, Jesus, the Lamb of God, had been weighed in the balance before the throne of God and found to be perfect. The Father's acceptance of our Savior's ransom was demonstrated when He raised His Son from the dead and exalted Him to His own right hand. Christ has paid our atonement price in full, discharged our full debt to God's holy law, perfectly satisfying every demand of divine holiness and justice on our behalf, and He provided a secure position for believers to stand before Him in His own righteousness. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The Bible Knowledge Commentary adds, quote, When counted, each adult male over 20, whether rich or poor, in verse 15, was to pay a half shekel, one-fifth of an ounce, a jera was a Babylonian weight. The shekel was silver. In Exodus chapter 38, verses 25 to 26, this practice became the basis of the later temple tax in Nehemiah 10, verse 32, though the amount then was reduced to one-third of a shekel, which became an annual tax at the time of Christ in Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. End quote. Our contribution to the worship activities of God's people should be a reflection of the fact that our ransom has been paid for by the inestimable sacrifice of God's Holy Son, Jesus. In verse 17 of chapter 30, we read of the bronze basin. This is the seventh of the holy vessels introduced in the book of Exodus. Although it is introduced last, it is the second which the priest would encounter as he made his way towards the holiest of all. Contrast this with the brazen altar which the priest would encounter first. The altar was made of wood and brass. The laver was made of brass only. The altar was square in shape. The laver was round. The dimensions for the altar are specific. No dimensions of the laver are given. The altar had rings and staves for carrying, symbolizing the cross. There is no instruction of the covering or carrying of the laver. The altar was for fire, judgment. The laver was for water, purification. The altar received sacrifices of all types. The laver was for the priest's cleansing alone. The cleansing here does not refer to the cleansing of the guilt of our sin before God in order to gain acceptance. That is secured by the blood of Christ, prefigured by the sacrifices on the brazen altar. What is spoken of here is, is cleansing of our hearts and minds from the defilements of this fallen world system. Before the priests would go to offer incense at the golden altar, they must wash hands and feet at the altar of brass. 
The priests went barefooted on the desert floor of the tabernacle. Their hands were stained with the blood and the handling of sacrifices at the brazen altar. They came in contact with death and were defiled. Therefore, they needed to have a fresh cleansing in order to enjoy communion with God. Psalm 24 verse 3 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Water is a type of the Word of God that cleanses. In Psalm 119, verse 9, in John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 3, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 25 to 26, and water both gives and sustains life. In John, chapter 3, verse 5, in Titus, chapter 3, verse 5. Next, we read about the holy anointing oil in verses 22 to 33. What we notice about the anointing oil was that four principal spices were put into olive oil. It was to be used in the consecration of the sacred vessels of the tabernacle and Aaron and his sons in their consecration to the service of the priesthood. The anointing oil, with its fragrant ingredients, as with the other items in the tabernacle, pointed towards the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 45, verse 7, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made you glad. Myrrh, cinnamon, calamus, and cassia are the prescribed ingredients for the anointing oil. They are to be mixed in exact proportions by an expert incense maker. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, in the communication of the Anointed One, that is Christ, the Holy Spirit gets it right. A counterfeit manufacture or use of the Holy Anointing Oil is forbidden. It shall not be poured on anyone's body, nor shall you make any like it in the same proportions. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever shall mix any like it, or whoever puts any of it on a layman, shall be cut off from his people. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 32 to 33. Next, we have a picture of the holy use of incense in verses 34 to 38. And as with the anointing oil, there was an exact recipe for the incense that was to be burnt in the tabernacle. The spices of resin droplets, mollusk shell, and galbanum were to be mixed in equal measures with pure frankincense. The mixture was to be sprinkled with salt, making it holy to the Lord, and ground to a fine powder. The incense was never to be made for oneself. It was always to be made for the Lord. And it was to be placed before the Ark of the Covenant, on the altar of incense, before the veil. Exodus 30, verse 38. Whoever shall make any like it, to use it as perfume, shall be cut off from his people. In chapter 31, we're introduced to the anointed artists. An artist is a person who produces works in any of the arts that are primarily subject to aesthetic criteria. In the case of the tabernacle, skill and craftsmen were required, but great respect was to be given to produce works that were according to the pattern shown to Moses on the mount and that will be pleasing to the Lord. Bezalel is named as the primary artistic designer for the tabernacle construction project. 
He is highly capable and skilled for fashioning the tabernacle and everything it contains. Ahaliab is Bezalel's appointed assistant. Other artistic experts and craftsmen were to work under their supervision and quality control. There is a place for God-given artistic skills in God's plan. Notice the Holy Spirit's contribution to the God-given talent of Bezalel. In verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold, in silver, and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. Was Bezalel filled with the Spirit of God in the sense which believers experience his indwelling today? F. F. Bruce answers, quote, Bezalel's filling with the Holy Spirit took the form of the impartation of wisdom and skill for the work which he undertook in connection with the house of God. Similar language is used of those who made high priestly vestments for Aaron in Exodus chapter 28, verse 3. We may say that all true wisdom comes from the spirit of wisdom and understanding in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. But the indwelling and filling of the Spirit, in the sense in which believers have experienced them from the Christian Pentecost onwards, could not have been known before the ascension of Christ. End quote. Next, we have the instructions for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a specific reminder to the people of Israel of God's covenant promises to them. It was given to them so that they might know that He is the Lord who makes them holy. It was to be a day of complete rest. They were to be reminded that they enjoy rest not because of their own labors, but because of what the Lord has done and has promised to them in their covenant relationship. The tables of stone given to Moses were written by the finger of God. We come to the end of this section of Exodus with verse 18. When he had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. We will discover the significance of that expression, the finger of God, as we continue to read through the Bible. Now let's go to the New Testament reading, Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 47. We are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we're going to witness the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. 
Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? This passage is painful to read. Jesus is identified in the darkness of the evening when Judas gives the prearranged signal of greeting him with a kiss. Jesus, knowing Judas had given himself to the devil's work of betrayal, calls Judas friend, saying, Do what you have come for, in Matthew 26.50. What a horrific thought to have one's purpose defined as the ignoble task of betraying the Son of God into the hands of those who would arrest him and bring him to crucifixion. What follows is an illegal pre-dawn meeting of the council at the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. The leading priests scrambled to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. They did not want truth or justice. They did not want to give Jesus a hearing. They wanted Jesus dead. Such is the natural heart. Jesus does not answer the false charges, but he does answer to the truth when he is asked. The high priest says to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. Is Jesus guilty of claiming to be God? Yes, they shout. And so as you read these verses, what is your verdict? Is Jesus who he says he is? Let's read from the book of Psalms. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 11. This psalm expresses the sheer joy of being forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, 
and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. What a great psalm we have here. Jesus rejoices in the finished work of Christ long before it takes place in history. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David gives a testimony of how his attempt to hide his sin with Bathsheba cost him physically and spiritually. He says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. It is so important that we don't pretend to hide our sins from God, but that we come clean before Him with an honest confession. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 1 John chapter 1 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no safety in trying to keep secrets from God, but there is a safe hiding place for us if we run to the cross and put our trust in our Lord and Savior. Submit to God. He will lead you. He will counsel you. He will watch over you. His unfailing love will surround you and restore your joy. Now for today's proverb, in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 27 to 32. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, Then I was beside him, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. We can see that wisdom, as we learned yesterday, is personified in Proverbs chapter 8. And we can also see a resemblance to the wisdom shown to us in Christ Jesus, wisdom shown to us in God the Father, and wisdom to the Spirit. However, the analogy doesn't work all the way through because in this chapter it is suggested that this wisdom was created. Let's pray. You are the eternal, all-wise God. You created all things and uphold all things by the word of your power. 
How grateful we are for the miracle of our salvation. You redeemed us and granted us the privilege to stand before you in the righteousness of your Son as a royal priesthood and a holy nation. You have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light to show forth your virtues. May the anointing of the Holy Spirit that is upon Christ our anointed head flow down to every member of his body corporate that we might be empowered to accomplish his choice purposes in the places where you have appointed us for service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today. And Once again, I want to direct your attention to our website, newlife.org, where you can subscribe to a written copy of our daily podcast. And also, there is a link in the daily email to the Operation World Prayer Guide as we pray for the nations, beginning with the letter A. So today we'll be praying for Afghanistan. Thank you for joining with us, and God bless you.